1: Make it M I P. With Massimella Matsumal. Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a right wing rally taking place on September 18th, Lord have mercy. Joining us now is someone who has been investigating a lot that's been happening in the aftermath of January 6th so we all should have cause for concern he is the director of investigations for every town for gun safety joining us now is Justin Wagner Justin welcome to make it plain buddy
2: thanks for having me excited to talk
1: uh excited to have you although it's, it's not the most pleasant of, of subjects. Um, you all recently published a report. There have been at least 560 armed demonstrations that have taken place across the United States since the start of 2020, averaging more than one a day. Is that right?
2: Uh, That is right. We we saw this prevalence of armed protests sweeping the country in 2020 and 2021 and realized no one had actually collected the data. So we looked at thousands of protests, most of which of course were peaceful, um, and found 560 instances of individuals open carrying weapons uh, at protests. And what we can now say is that an armed protest is a more dangerous protest. Um, They are nearly more six times more likely to turn violent or destructive than an unarmed protest. And some of your listeners may say that's intuitive, but actually, no, the gun lobby has been telling Americans for years that guns make us safer. Uh, We can now say demonstrably that is not true when it comes to protests.
1: But, Justin, you must be mistaken. I thought it was only Black Lives Matter protests that were riotous and unsafe and, and I guess, armed. You mean to tell me that's not true, that it's actually these right-wing demonstrations?
2: When we looked at the data of protests and who were bringing guns to protests, the largest spike in armed protests in our country in the last year and a half was the counter-reaction to Black Lives Matter demonstrations. Individuals coming out to counter-protest BLM events, which were largely peaceful. Um, I think many of your listeners are familiar with what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, when a 17-year-old drove across state lines, ended up shooting multiple people. So Black Lives Matter events were, uh, there were a number of guns at them, uh, but counter to the narrative that you just, uh, that you just uh, alluded to, um, the people bringing them were, were largely there to counter-demonstrate against uh, racial equality protests.
1: You've got some specifics in your report. Militia groups and militant social movements like the Proud Boys and Three Percenters are active in over 54% of all armed uh, demonstrations. 84% of the groups involved in armed demonstrations are right-wing actors. The main group actors include the Boogaloo Boys, and their affiliates, the three percenters and associated groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, some of them are going to be out there on September 18th. Correct.
2: Yeah, I, I, we're not in the, the business of making predictions, but they certainly yeah. some of those groups are involved in the organization. That's right. It's
1: 97 percent, nearly 97 percent of all armed demonstrations have taken place in public spaces with at least 18 percent reported. Um, At government facilities, including over 100 armed demonstrations at Capitol buildings and vote counting sites in 25 states in Washington, D.C. Thank goodness for this report. Why? Why do you think the mainstream media isn't reporting on this more?
2: We think that finding about public places is really important because 97% of these events are happening in public. They're happening at vote counting locations or happening at state capitals. I'm sure a lot of your listeners saw the militia members taking over the state capital in Lansing, Michigan last year. And and what is the point of that? It's to intimidate. You know, these groups are doing this in public to chill speech. And so we're not only concerned about the public safety issue because these these events are more dangerous but we're worried about the First Amendment concerns because pretend you're Jane Doe or, or John Doe and you wanna go lobby your state legislator, like we all can. Right. Um, you show up at that Capitol and you see a bunch of militia members with ARs. Are you gonna walk into that building? You know, Maybe you are, maybe you're really brave, but I think a lot of reasonable people would get back in that car. And that's, that's not what we want in a functioning democracy.
1: You all also took a look at the role of guns uh, and armed extremism on January 6th itself, correct?
2: That's correct. We did research because we saw a lot of the media reports uh, not alluding to the presence of guns. And in fact, we were able to find uh, at least 10 different gun arrests uh, in around the Capitol that day. And of course, we don't know how many people that day were carrying weapons because the Capitol Police, unlike at most crime scenes, uh, were not able to search uh, the criminals on the way out of the building. Most of them got free. Uh, We see chat rooms throughout, discord messages of people bragging about bringing guns. Uh, What we do know is that by looking at court filings, over 3000 rounds of ammunition were seized uh, in or around that day on January 6th. That's enough to shoot every member of Congress uh, many times over. And so this was an armed insurrection on the 6th.
1: And you're right. It's frightening that people don't really know the the extent of what happened. More MIP after this message. I've been involved in several nonviolent actions at the Capitol since then with Reverend Barber and Black Voters Matter and others. I've never had the experience of sympathy Necessarily for police officers, and don't get me wrong—I think most police officers are good. I don't think most police officers are here to brutalize us. But I mean, I actually witnessed some of the the pain, the angst, the anxiety on the faces of some of the U.S. Capitol police officers, and I've known some of them over the years. Um, these were are people just get them to go to work every day. And, and and as you probably know, at the Capitol, uh, Justin, that's not a street cop per se. That's not someone necessarily out here fighting crime, fighting on the hardened streets. Um, so you don't you don't get up in the morning and send your kids off to school and your spouse off to work to go to the U.S. Capitol to really expect something like that. Um, from Americans, you may have certain protocols for terrorism, or or or, and 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 that has happened. But this isn't the type of thing you get them go to the U.S. Capitol every day and expect to. We even met one of the officers who was victimized by acid, because that's the other thing that's sick about that. Guns is one thing, but people wouldn't picked up bear spray, acid. So it's 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 it's, it's kind of sick. What role does every town think? This gun culture has in encouraging this type of behavior. Isn't there some seemingly some romanticism in this overwhelming gun culture in America, Justin, that makes people want to get out and get guns and go do this type of thing?
2: In extremist circles, especially kind of anti-government groups like militias, you often see guns not just as the tool of violence, which they certainly are, but they're also recruiting tools. It's how they recruit members to their organization, and it's also how they radicalize individuals. So, you know, we see a linkage between guns and extremism, especially when it comes to militias. This country's had a militia problem for any number of years. Back in the 90s, we all remember Timothy McVeigh, associated incidents like that. Uh, that that continues. And one of the things our report was trying to highlight was January 6th wasn't the start of something. Uh, in fact, throughout 2020, many of these groups, like the Oath Keepers, like the Proud Boys, were out in the streets with weapons throughout the country. And at some point, we stopped being shocked by people open carrying ARs down the street and the media stopped covering it. But it happened all throughout 2020 uh, and through the first half of 2021.
1: Is it by the media not covering it? Is it? Is it being excused? Is it being minimized? Because I, I, I beg to differ. Most of us don't remember Timothy McVeigh, you know, and that's and, and I think there's another term of our people call it the, the the lone wolf theory, you know, that's prevalent. Oh, this is just an isolated. This is alone. This is just an isolated thing. But what, as your report points out, it's not at all. This is this is common. It's widespread and it's organized.
2: And I, w- I would mention that one of the one of the things we see as a gun violence prevention group, you know, our number one adversary uh, uh, on any number of fronts is the National Rifle Association. And they are kind of the OG when it comes to this radicalizing messaging, this conspiracy messaging. For decades, they've been telling their members that people are coming to take their guns, the gun confiscation. You know, they have this It's called the insurrectionist theory of the Second Amendment. They don't believe the Second Amendment is just for self-defense. They believe and tell their members over and over again that the Second Amendment is there to overthrow tyranny, to to fight the government at some point. And that type of messaging, it might help them fundraise. But after decades, uh, it manifests itself in the type of extremism we're seeing today. Yeah. More MIP after this message.
1: Again, what... In dealing with gun violence, and you all deal with, with gun violence throughout in, in so many respects that it affects all of our lives, is, is there an impact that this type of armed behavior, this kind of Civil War cosplaying, so to speak, has that, does that have an effect on everyday gun violence that we see in neighborhoods or we see in the home? Uh, what what contribution does that make to the reality of, of gun violence? Because some people can look at this and say, well, that doesn't really affect me. I still have a gun in my home or, or I don't. People don't always draw the connection between each type of gun violence. In fact, a lot of times we like to compartmentalize it. Is that the right thing to do or should we see this as, as a part of and a contributor to the overall problem?
2: No, I, I don't think we want to live in a country where we have 560 armed protests um, in America where people can't go and exercise their First Amendment rights. And many of these demonstrations we studied, dozens of people, if not hundreds of people, were at these demonstrations peacefully to have their voice heard. They shouldn't have to worry about their public safety. We shouldn't have First Amendment rights chilled. So in, in, that, in that respect, this, this impacts everyone. You don't have to be a militia member, a family of a militia member for this to be impacted. And also, it, it, I think it, it highlights the folly of open carry laws. You know, when we looked at states that had permissive open carry laws, they had more armed demonstrations, they had more violence. And so at the very least, it provides a roadmap for state legislators to roll back some of these dangerous open carry laws. And, and if they don't want to do that, at the very least, you know, provide spaces, public spaces, whether it's parks, government buildings, Capitol grounds, where guns are not permitted, where people can go mm. and petition their government, because we really see that connection between guns and democracy as important.
1: Every time I organize an event, and I've organized dozens in my life, demonstrations in Washington, D.C., Capitol Grounds, Lincoln Moor, everything else. We just had the march on Washington, and every town was one of our partners. Justin, I'm always asked, is anybody going to be armed? So now my question is, now if I'm asked that, I know the response I'll get if I say yes. (laughs) <laughs> OK. And and so people ask. So wonder what happens at these other demonstrations, like, for example, on the 18th, if they're asking me that question, they must be asking these groups that question. And I wonder what the government's response is to them.
2: I'm not here to give the government's response, but I guess I'll give you one perspective, which is, um, you know, we're troubled by the groups that are organizing the 18th. Well, I wouldn't make predictions. Some of these groups have brought guns to other events throughout the year, and that's that's troubling. And I, I certainly am hoping for a peaceful demonstration. But the, you know, the event on the 18th and what happened on January 6th, you know, happened in the District of Columbia, and the District of Columbia has strong gun laws. And if someone is openly brandishing a weapon, can take action, and in other jurisdictions, again, I think this goes back to highlight the folly of open carry laws. Extremists could open carry in any number of states at these demonstrations, and until something violent happened, the police couldn't do anything. Uh, so, at the very least, in DC, uh, we have we have strong gun laws that should protect protest activity, not all that out that way, but but this are bedrock.
1: Lastly, I think we, it, it, when I talk to some of the other gun groups, uh, uh, anti gun violence groups, I should say. The consensus pretty much is that that the NRA um, has lost some of its shine and maybe even some of its influence. Do you agree with that? And and if so, why are we still looking at things like this, looking at, at this type of proliferation of arms and especially in public spaces like this?
2: I think the NRA certainly has lost power Uh, it just declared bankruptcy and then was thrown out of bankruptcy court it's being sued by attorney generals in new york and dc it's hemorrhaging money it is certainly a less powerful organization and I'll say it has an adversary. You know, a couple of decades ago, there wasn't an organized gun violence prevention movement, and now there is. Every town is part of it, but we're not the only ones, and we have partners big and small throughout the country, and we're organizing, and we're fighting in state capitals, and we're fighting in localities. Beating the gun lobby, beating the NRA isn't a, a short-term project. It takes decades, and we're gonna win some days, we're gonna lose some days, but I think the biggest difference is that the NRA has an adversary, and we're here, you know, we're here to stay.
1: Indeed. Folks, uh, the report. Every Town and the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project (ACLED). Uh, Justin, tell pe- let people know where they can go and see the project for themselves. Go and read the report.
2: Our website is uh, EverytownResearch.org. You can see our work on extremism and our other work on uh, gun violence issues there.
1: Justin, doing the work, folks, that some in the mainstream and beltway media ought to be doing. Um, and, I, and I hope that they will um, refer to this report, quote from it. Folks, read it for yourselves as well and be informed. And we continue to pray for everyone's safety. Uh, every town is working for our safety every day. So support them as well. They're one of a number of groups we've had on the show who are doing this important work. We should support them all. Justin Wagner is Director of Investigations for Every Town. Justin, pleasure to have you on Make It Plain. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made Plain. <laughs>